0: Amen. All right. Take your Bibles today and turn to the book of Ephesians, chapter six. We're going to read one verse in Ephesians, chapter six, and then First Thessalonians, chapter five. 1 Thessalonians, chapter five. Hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving this last week. I, I know uh, I know we did, and we uh, went over to my family's on Thursday, and then went to my wife's family on Friday and so did a lot of eating this week and that's always a blessing and a lot of good food i hope everyone had a had a good time and i hope everyone uh is thankful most important of all and uh good to see everybody is here and i don't think anybody's in jail from getting any black friday fights or anything uh this weekend but uh that's, that's always exciting going out there and watching all the excitement you know in church, you know, one of the things—it's—it's it's good, it's okay to get a little excited. You know, I don't am not saying you got to like run around and everything, but you know, people like to go where there's excitement. And you would think, you know, why would people want to go stand in line for all these items and go where everybody's running, pushing? Everybody's just excited and having fun. And me, I don't even care about most of the stuff. I just like watching everything, and I just like being where people are excited and having a good time. It's like a ball game. I could be watching a ball game, and. I don't even know anybody that's playing, don't even really care about either team, but when I go to a ball game, I usually pick a side and I get excited about what's going on. I just, I get caught up in it and, uh, you probably, you don't want to sit by me at a ball game. And, cause, uh, my wife, she doesn't usually sit by me at ball games cause she, uh, thinks I get a little carried away sometimes, but it's all in fun. It's all in fun. Even when I'm yelling at the refs and seem mad, I'm having the time of my life. <laughs> and, uh, maybe at somebody else's expense. But it's it's fun to be around excitement. But uh, church, it's okay for church to be exciting. We don't have to we don't have to be bored and all solemn and and uh, you know have bad attitudes or anything like that. Nothing wrong with being happy in the house of God. If we're gonna be happy anywhere, I think it ought to be here. And God's done some great things, and it's good to see uh, Joseph and Nancy back with us this week. And I, I announced last week. Uh, but uh, Joe gave his heart to Christ last week, and uh, Nancy also. She got assurance of her salvation, and uh, very excited about them uh, for that. And uh, they told me I, that I could share that with the church, and so I hope uh, after church, you know, if you uh, think about it, go and uh, just shake their hands, let them know you're glad for their decision. But um, after I talked with them, I talked with Nancy about. Uh, you know, assurance of salvation and getting assurance of salvation, I thought, you know, that's probably something I need to preach on. I think that would be a good subject for a message and something that uh, I think is something that we all need to hear every once in a while. And uh, today we're going to be talking about the helmet of salvation. Uh, The Bible says we need to put on the whole armor of God. And in Ephesians chapter 6, it tells us what that armor of God is, and it names many different things, uh, many different parts of that armor. But one of them that it mentions that we're going to be talking about today is the helmet of salvation. It says, "...and take the helmet of salvation," in verse 17, "...and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God." The helmet of salvation. What is that? And the Bible says... To take it, to take that helmet of salvation, that we need to, uh, we need to put on that armor. And many people believe, uh, that the helmet of salvation is simply the way you put it on is by getting saved and giving your heart to Christ. But I don't believe that that's what it is exactly because a helmet, you can put it on, you can take it off pretty easy. And when you get saved, you don't get saved one day and decide the next day, well, I'm not saved anymore. When you get saved, it's eternal. God gives us eternal life. He gives us everlasting life. We see that in John 3. And if you can lose that salvation or if you can take that salvation off and set it aside, well, then it's not very eternal. It's not everlasting if you can lose it. But we know that you can't lose salvation. And so when God, Paul he was talking to Christians and he tells them to put on... The helmet of salvation. That's something as Christians that we need to do because the helmet, I believe what it is, it's assurance of salvation. That assurance of salvation. Because you know the devil, one of the ways, many ways he's going to try to get at you is he's going to try to get at you through your head. And if he could convince you that you're not a Christian, if he could convince you that you're not saved or that your salvation is in jeopardy or that you could lose that salvation, it's really going to hurt you it's going to hurt your Christian walk. It's going to hurt your effectiveness for God. It's going to hurt your happiness. And boy, I, I tell you, the more I study about hell, the more I don't want to go there. And man alive, what I know about hell! If I couldn't know that I was saved, if I didn't have, if I could, if I didn't have that hell of salvation, boy, I I wouldn't like that. I don't want to. I don't want to be threatened with that. I don't want. To even think that there's a possibility of that, and I thank God that for that for me there is no possibility of me going there. I've been saved, and I can. And there's others here today. You may be just as saved as I am, and if you're saved, you are just as saved as I am. Nobody's more saved than somebody else. But if you don't, have, but you might not have that helmet of salvation. You might not be real sure about it. And if you're saved, you're, you're saved. You cannot possibly go to hell. It's not possible. But if you don't have the helmet of salvation, if you don't have that assurance, then you can't have the same joy that somebody has who does have that assurance because you're wondering. And having the assurance of salvation is so important uh, for, for anyone. And we're going to talk about that. Uh, first, I want us to look at the what the helmet what well, salvation is. In First Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 1, it says, But of the times and the seasons, brethren, ye have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so cometh as a thief in the night. For when they shall say, Peace and safety, then sudden destruction cometh upon them as travail upon a woman with child, and they shall not escape. But ye, brethren, are not in darkness that that day should overtake you as a thief. You know, the coming of Christ, we don't know when it's going to be. It could be at any time. And when you have if you don't have assurance of your salvation, you can't really enjoy the thought of Christ coming. And God wants us to be looking for it. He wants to be us to be watching and waiting with anticipation. I'm looking forward to the coming of Christ because when He comes, I know where I'm going. I know that when He comes, He's going to be coming for me. And so I'm excited about that. There's others who uh, they're saved, but they're not sure. And so they kind of dread the coming of Christ because they're not sure what's going to happen. But Paul's talking here to people, uh, to Christians and he's saying, hey, this shouldn't overtake you. You ought to be ready for this. And verse 5 says, "...Ye are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor of darkness. Therefore, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. For they that sleep, sleep in the night, and they that be drunken are drunken in the night." But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet the hope of salvation. For God hath not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation to our Lord Jesus Christ. That's exciting. If you're saved today, God is not planning judgment for you. God has planned salvation for you. Says who died for us, that whether we wake or sleep, we should live together with them. Wherefore comfort yourselves together and edify one another also uh, as also ye do. Paul tells him, he he mentions the helmet, the hope of salvation. That's what he said, where we kind of see what the helmet of salvation is. It's the hope of salvation. That word hope, it's one that um, I think in a lot of ways is misused. These days, a lot of times, you know, we'll say, we say things like, well, you know, do you know for sure you're going to heaven? Well, I hope so. Okay, if that's your attitude and if that's the way you're saying it, you don't have the hope of salvation like the Bible's talking about. Well, a lot of times when we say, I hope so, what we're saying is, I really don't know, but I hope it's going to turn out okay. I hope Everything's going to be good, but when the Bible talks about hope, and this verse when it's talking about hope, the definition is to anticipate, usually with pleasure, with expectation, uh, with or with confidence, or with faith or hope. There may be one person here, may, you know, kids right now. You know, they're they're all excited, you know, about Christmas. They're starting to count the days. Thanksgiving over, next big holiday's Christmas, and they're excited about Christmas because they have the hope. That they're gonna get some presents. And they're, in fact, they are, they have hope with anticipation. Counting down the days. That's how confident they are. That it's gonna, that they're gonna get something exciting on Christmas. And they are looking forward to it because they fully expect it to happen. And that's how we're supposed, that's the hope of salvation that we have. We fully expect I fully expect to go to heaven when I die. If Christ were to come back today, I fully expect Him to come for me. I have that hope. I have that anticipation. I get pleasure in thinking about it. I get excited thinking about it. It's not, I hope so, but I really don't know. That's not the hope that the Bible is talking about. And let me tell you, when your hope is in the Lord, sometimes our hope in life and things in this life, it might be with anticipation. It might be with joy. It might be like the hope the Bible's talking about here, but if your hope is in the wrong thing, well then, you may be disappointed. Like There may be some kids, they're excited about what they're going to get for Christmas, but they may wake up Christmas morning with a lump of coal in their stocking. <laughs> I doubt that's any of the kids in here. <laughs> but uh, you know, hey, they had the hope, but when it comes to the Bible, when it comes to the Word of God, your hope, it is not going to be in vain. Your hope, and if God says something is going to happen, it's going to happen, and that's why I am excited about it. So what does the helmet of salvation do for us? Well, one, there's there's kind of a who, what, when, where, and why, and a how here that we're going to look at. One, it gives us the understanding of who we are. It gives us the understanding of who we are. Much of our society's problem today is They don't understand who we are as people. They think that we, you know, are evolved from an amoeba. That our ancestors swung from a tree. That we're monkeys. That we are highly evolved animals. Survival of the fittest. Therefore, you know, if you're in my way, I'm going to get you out of my way. And that's why man does some horrible things to each other. We are being taught throughout our whole lives that we're basically nothing more than animals and people act like animals. But as Christians, if you have, when you have that helmet of salvation, we understand that we are not an animal, that we are a creation of God. Revelation chapter 4 verse 11 says, says thou art worthy O Lord to receive glory and honor and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. God created us for his pleasure. We are his creation. And we understand that as Christians. And I know it's easy to look at us and think, boy, how does God get pleasure from people? Well, unfortunately, mankind did fall. Mankind did sin. Uh, man, uh, we have gone away from God. We, and we are we are sinners. But you know what? God still loves us. And God still gets pleasure in us when we do right. When the, when the unrighteous turn from their sins. When we repent. When we follow up God. God gets pleasure in that. And we understand that. And so as Christians, we're like, hey, the only reason I'm here is because God put me here. And if God has a purpose for me, I ought to fulfill that purpose. I am a child of God. I am His creation. I know that. I don't sit around scratching my head and wondering, why am I even here? I don't. I don't have. To, I'm not doing that. I know. We know that as Christians that we are here. That we're God's creation. Also, it gives us the assignment of what we are supposed to do. We know who we are, and we know what we're supposed to do. So, we, since we know who we are, now we know what we're supposed to be doing with our life. The world today, they live only for the desires of the flesh. You know why people will fight each other over a cell phone cuz they think they've got to have those those things to make them happy. The reason people will I mean, you know, fight over just over nothing because that our, our flesh says, "Hey, you need that." Your our flesh says, "I want that." And we live for and, and many people live for that just trying to fulfill the desires of the flesh. If it feels good, just go ahead and do it. If it feels good, it must be right. That's what the world says. But that, that's not true. And many people, they're going, they live their whole lives just doing whatever their flesh wants. And it doesn't bring them happiness. It doesn't bring them any fulfillment. They still have this emptiness in their life. And they can't figure out, you know, what do I need to do if I only had more money. You know, there's millionaires who, who commit suicide. There's millionaires who are battling depression and don't know what to do with themselves. There's uh, the people that seem to have everything. And the flesh cannot be satisfied. And as Christians, we understand that that's not why we are here, to fulfill the desires of the flesh. We understand that God has given us an assignment. Our main responsibility is to glorify God. That's our main responsibility. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 19, What? Know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. When Jesus Christ died on the cross, He paid for my sins. I was a slave to sin. I was in the bondage of sin. And Jesus Christ, He paid my way out of that. And so all I have to do to be a free person, to be free from that bondage of sin, I have to accept Christ's gift of salvation. I have to accept that payment that He made for me. If I want, I can reject that gift of salvation. I can say, I don't want, Lord, I don't want that. I'll pay for my own sins. I will try to be good. I will try to make it on my own. However, if you try that, you will fail. And you will pay for your sins, but it's going to take you an eternity. And an eternity in hell. And and so you know that's not the way that we want to go. And so as Christians, we say, "Hey, no, I want Christ's gift of salvation." And when we receive that gift, He saves us. Our eternity is secure. We can know we're on our way to heaven, and we understand that, hey, that I have been bought with a price. Jesus Christ paid the ultimate price for me. If you, and you think, well, it was for everybody. Listen, I believe if I was the only person that would ever get saved, Jesus Christ would have died on the cross. I believe if I was the only person that ever would get saved, Jesus would have had to still pay the exact same price that He paid. He'd have got just as many lashes with that cat of nine tails. He'd have hung on the cross just as long. He'd have still had to shed just as much blood just for my sins. That's how bad they are. That's how bad our sin is. And Christ, but Christ saved me, and you know what? He's not asking too much when He asks us to glorify Him in our body in our spirit. They are His. He bought us. He bought us with a great price. And He's and so that ultimately, that's that should be our goal as a church. Our ultimate goal should be to glorify God. How do we do that? By being obedient to God. By doing things God's way. If we do things our way and build a great church or a big church or whatever. Then we're only glorifying ourselves, and then if that's the case, we failed. But the way we glorify God is by doing what He says to do in His Word, the way He He commanded us. And then God is then God's glorified. And even if even if we're whether we become a big church or small church, when we are obedient to God, that is the way we glorify God. There's a whole message I could preach on that subject, but that is our assignment to glorify God to do. Uh, whatever we can to bring glory to Him, not to ourselves. Glory to God. It all belongs to Him. Because so we've been bought with the price. But then third, it gives us the memory of when we got it settled. This is important. John chapter 9, in verse 24, it says, "...then again called they the man that was blind and said unto him, Give God the praise. We know that this man is a sinner." There was a man that Jesus healed. Uh, the man was blind and Jesus healed him. Jesus gave him His physical sight. And of course... He went around telling people, hey, I was blind, now I can see. I was blind, now I can see. This man named Jesus healed me, and of course the Pharisees, they didn't like Jesus. They got mad. And so they've kind of got this guy on trial almost. And listen, when verse 25 he answered and said, whether he be a sinner, I know not. One thing I know, that where I, as I was blind, now I see. Then said they to him again, What did ye to thee? How opened he thine eyes? And he answered them, I have told you already, and ye did not hear. Wherefore would ye hear it again? Will ye also be his disciples? This guy, he was a man, he was born blind. He'd never been able to see. And Jesus comes along and he heals him. Now you notice, when Jesus, when Jesus healed this man, this man had his sight. But you notice, he doesn't know a whole lot about theology. He doesn't know a whole lot about Jesus. They were saying Jesus was a sinner, and he's like, I don't know if he's a sinner or not. He said, I only know this. I was blind, and now I can see. That's all I know. And you know, to get saved, you don't have to know very much about the Bible. You don't have to know a whole lot about it to have the helmet of salvation. You don't have to know very much theology at all. Well, I was only five years old when I gave my heart to Christ. I didn't know near as much Bible as I do now. I didn't know that much. I had some verses memorized. I knew I knew enough. Uh, I, I knew what I needed to know to get saved. But one thing that I did that I did know that day, one thing that I still know to this day, is I know this. I called on the name of the Lord that day. I remember that. I remember praying and asking Him to save me. I remember that. Now I I remember I remember asking Him to come into my heart. I remember admitting. That I was a sinner. And you know what? There were some times in my life where I was like, Man, I wonder if I really am saved. I remember I remember I used to lay in bed sometimes and think about it, and I'd think, Man, you know, what if what if I didn't really get it? I was only five years old. And I'd I'd really struggle with it. And sometimes I'd think, you know, I I I would, you know, literally you know, just lay the thing, man. What if I die and go to hell? What if I stand before God and He says, Depart from me? I didn't I didn't, like the thought, I didn't like the thought of that and I remember when I put the helmet of salvation on was when I really got a hold of that verse it says simply this, it wasn't when I had this big revelation. it wasn't when I had this vision. it wasn't when I had this spectacular dream. It was when I just looked at I finally just looked at Romans 10:13 that says, "For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." And I looked at that and I thought, I I did that. Why would God say for whosoever? It doesn't say for whosoever to call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, except for Tommy McMurtry. It doesn't say that. Why would God make an exception against me? And I was like, you know, we're saved. You know, the Word of God is the final authority. The Word of God is what we're supposed to follow. The Word of God is what He's given us, Jesus Christ. He doesn't show up in physical form and talk to us. Jesus Christ, what He left us is His Word. And if His Holy Word says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved, and if thou shalt confess in thy mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in thy heart that God hath raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved, then that's what you need to do. And that's what I did. And that's all I need. And it, and I didn't. I didn't have this big revelation. I didn't have this big feeling come over me. I didn't start speaking in tongues and going crazy and running around the place. I didn't do any of those things. I just, I, I put the helmet on by believing God's word. And whenever there comes a time when you uh, uh when you're wondering, think back. Think back. Is there a, is there a place that you can go back? You don't have to know the date. I, I know the date. It was April 30th of 1986. You don't have to know the date, but can you remember the place? Can you remember the event? Was there ever a time when you called on the name of the Lord for salvation? Where you were putting your faith and your trust in Him. Has that time ever happened? And when you have that uh, the helmet of salvation, it gives us that memory of when we got it settled. There's a preacher... That I know, his name, his name's John Bishop. He was a pastor for many years and, uh, you know, well-known preacher, great preacher, and he ended up getting, I believe it was spinal meningitis. And he was misdiagnosed, and, you know, he kept going with all these problems, and they, they thought he was just crazy, and they ended up, uh, I think they even tried to send him to, a, an asylum somewhere, and it turned out he had this disease, spinal meningitis, and because it took so long for them to treat it, he literally lost all of his memory. He, he went, he was a grown man, but he literally went right back to like he was a baby. He had to learn how to talk again. He had to learn how to walk. He had to learn how to use the bathroom. It was like they, he started all over. His wife stayed with him through the whole thing. And I mean, you know, the, the stories that they tell of some of the things he went through, because he was like a little kid, but in a grown man's body. He'd get lost many times. He'd go wander off places, and it was just—it was horrible. Some of the things that he went through, he—he did, he didn't remember his wife. He didn't remember his kids, and uh, he's—he started learning again, and he's—he's he's preaching again, and he—he he meets people all the time. They're like, hey, you know, hey, brother Bishop, you know, hey, I, I knew you from way back then. You preached at my church. You know, he—he he doesn't remember any of that. He's kind of has a brand new life, but you know what? He does remember. When he got saved, he said he's like he he can remember that. He remembers that time when he gave his heart to Christ. God let him keep that. He forgot everything else, but he remembers that, and uh, he he didn't need to go and get saved again or anything. He he remember he remembers doing it. And and God that home of salvation, God gives us that that assurance, that that memory, that place that you can go to. I can take you to the place where I got saved when I was about eighteen or nineteen years old. I, I I went and I visited. I knew the people who lived there and visited them. They took a picture of me in that room. I wanted a picture of me in the place where I got saved. I don't worship the place or anything anything like that. I'm not saved because of a place. I'm not saved because of a date on the calendar, but at the same time, it is special to me because that is where I got it settled. That's where it took place. I have the memory of that. It helps me have the assurance of that salvation, and that's and that's so important. Many religious people they can't they can't tell you when, where, or even how they got saved. It's like oh, I, I'm saved. Okay, well, yeah, how would you get saved? Well, you know, and then they'll tell you this long story. You know, I used to do this and I used to do that. It was like one time I just finally realized that I was saved. So, did you call on the Lord for salvation? Did you admit you were a sinner to Him? That's what the Bible says to do. If we confess our sins, He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Have you ever admitted that you're a sinner? Well, I've always been a good person. You know, I never really did anything bad, I went to church all my life. I was reading uh, President George W. Bush's book one time and he was talking about when I believe it was in the second inauguration of Reagan and his father George H.W. Bush was vice president and they had this big get together with all the family and Billy Graham was there. And Billy Graham, you know, he was having dinner with uh, George H. W. Bush, the a future president. George W. Bush, another future president. You know, Jeb Bush, a future governor. The people are talking about for 2016. Maybe three future presidents. I don't know. But George H. W. Bush, and his mother was still alive at that time, and she was there at that meal. And George H. W. Bush, he went to Billy Graham, and he said, he said, says you know, Pastor Graham, he said, you teach that in order to be saved, you need to have a born-again experience. He's like, my mother here, she's the most godly religious woman that I've ever known. He's like, but she's never had a born-again experience. And he said, said, do you believe that she's going to go to heaven? And that'd be pretty intimidating. The vice president asking you, is my wonderful religious mother going to hell? (laughs) That'd be kind of intimidating. But you know, men of God were supposed to speak the truth. It doesn't matter. And according to George W. Bush in his book, he said that Billy Graham looked at him and said, he "says Well, he said, you know, there are some people that need to have that born again experience to understand God, and then there's others that are just born saved. And I think your mom might be one of those people. And I thought." What a letdown! Because the Bible says ye must be born again. When Nicodemus came to Jesus Christ, he said Nicodemus was a religious guy. He was a good guy, but Jesus said ye must be born again. And people today they're thinking they can find some other. They've got these stories that don't involve getting, being born again. Down south, they call it getting born again. You got to get born again. <laughs> it's uh, there's a difference, and, uh, they, and if you've never had that. If you don't have a memory of that, then you know what. There's nothing wrong with going and saying, you know what, I'm not. I'm not real sure, and getting that assurance and going and asking God again, or asking God maybe for the first time, calling on Him for salvation. Because you know what, even if you're saved, you're still a sinner. So go ahead, admit, hey, I'm a sinner. Go ahead and call on God for salvation, so you can have that time, you can have that place. And if you call on Him, God's not going to say, "Ah, no, you called me before, so that doesn't count." God's not going to say, "For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved." God's not going to say, "Well, not too bad. You thought you were saved for too many years when you weren't, so I'm not going to save you." He's not going to do that. So if you don't have that assurance, there's nothing wrong. With going and asking for salvation. In fact, that's exactly that's exactly what I would recommend. The Bible shows us how to get saved, and when we learn when when we learn how, then we're able to remember when. So that's what hauled me: studying the Bible, seeing what the Bible said to do to get saved. And after that, I'd gotten saved before I learned all the theology. But thankfully, when I learned the theology, I was able to go back and say, yep, that's what I did. That lines up. There's some people, they learn the theology, I guess you could say, and then they get saved. But it doesn't matter... When, when you learn, as long as you do it, as long as there's been a time and a place where you called on Christ for salvation, where you admitted that you're a sinner and that you deserve to go to hell. So, and, uh, I did, I did that. I know I, and many in here have done that, but there may be some you're just not sure, you don't really know. Maybe you remember getting baptized. And you've kind of thought that that's what it was. You've kind of been, uh, your hope has been in that baptism. Well, man, baptism is a wonderful thing. And if you're saved, you ought to get baptized. But if baptism doesn't save you, and if you're relying on a baptism, that's not going to be good. Maybe somebody told you that you were saved. Maybe your parents, well, yeah, you got saved when you did this, maybe you don't remember it. Listen, my parents, you know, they wouldn't lie to me, but I'm glad I have the memory of it and not just them telling me about it. And if it was just them, you know, I'm not just going to go off what my parents say. I'm not, if my, I don't want, you know, my, I'm not, when I stand before God, you know, I, I'm not going to be able to say, well, my mom and dad said I'm safe, so you've got to let me in. No. It's what the Bible says. God's got to let me in because of what he said in his word. Not because of what my mom and dad says, because of what he said. Thankfully, what my mom and dad say line up with the Bible, but I'm going to heaven and it has nothing to do with my parents' authority. It's God's authority. So that helmet of salvation, it gives us that memory of when we got it settled. Also, it gives us the assurance of where we're going. We know where this is going to end up. We know where it's all going to end. It's going to end up with us in heaven. That's why, no matter how bad it gets, we can still have hope that you know we're going to be okay. I mean, the worst thing that could happen to me, I guess, on earth is I could die. My whole family could die. But if we're all saved, we're going to end up in the same place. We're going to be there for eternity. Listen, I don't want to be alone on this on this earth. I want my family, but I but I'm so thankful that if I was to lose any of them, that I would have the hope and the knowledge that I'm going to be able to see them again—a hope with anticipation. Listen, i I've I've, heard, I've read so many stories, and I've known personally people who, on their deathbed, were literally excited because they had that hope of salvation. They were confident. People that were like, "I'm getting ready to see." My husband. I'm getting ready to see my wife again. I'm getting ready to see my mom and dad. They were excited about it. I'm getting ready to see Christ. Can you imagine? Listen, I, I don't want. I don't want to die tomorrow. Okay, I, I don't. I do I, I Lord, my family needs me. You know, I hope God uses me here on this earth. I don't want to die tomorrow. But can you imagine knowing that tomorrow you are going to be in heaven? That'd be exciting. I've been on some exciting trips in my life where I was really excited about where I was going, but nothing compares to heaven. And I've seen the death of the righteous. It can be an exciting event. I've also seen the death of the wicked, where they don't know what's going to happen. They don't know what's next. They don't know if there is a next. They're wondering, is this it? Is it all over? They get to looking back in their life, and it's like, it went by too fast and it's, it's over. There's nothing else. And man, I don't want to die that way. And we and when you have the home of salvation, you don't have to die that way. You can die with the anticipation that the best is just about to come. The best is just around the corner. The lost, they're just living for today because they have no purpose of eternity. Whatever pleases them today is what they want to do. Because they're not thinking about the future. As Christians, we understand that no matter what happens... We know where we're going. Titus 2.12 says, Teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present world, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and of our Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave Himself for us, that He might redeem us from all iniquity and purify unto Himself a peculiar people zealous of good works. These things speak and exhort and rebuke with all authority. Let no man despise thee. You know, the world's going to look at us sometimes and they see how we are maybe different in some areas. They see that we're sitting in church instead of maybe sleeping in. They see that we're uh, you know in the house of God when we could be out maybe having fun or having a picnic on a Sunday or whatever. They see us doing things that they see as not very pleasurable. But as Christians, we understand that, hey, the reason I'm doing this now is because I'm looking forward to to what's coming. I'm thinking about eternity. If I have to miss a little bit of fun right now, that's okay because I'm looking forward to the fun I'm going to have in eternity. While I might give some of my treasures and my talents to God, I'm okay. I might not be able to have some of the treasures on this earth, but I'm going to have treasures in heaven for all eternity. And so we can we can go through life and we can not have the things that everybody else has, we cannot have that much money, and not have the nicest things, and we can still enjoy what we have ten times more than anybody else, because we understand that what we're living for is in the future, it's yet to come. That what we're going to have in eternity is not going to compare to what anybody has on this earth, that if we're saved, that our soul we know is worth more than all the treasures of the world, the Bible says. And so we can we can enjoy our life even not having what everybody else has. Many other scriptures uh, we could give along those lines. So uh, we see, uh, it gives us the understanding of who we are. It gives us the assignment of what we are supposed to do. It gives us the memory of when we got it settled. It gives us the assurance of where we're going, and then it gives us the understanding of why we are here. So if we're saved, why doesn't God just take us to heaven right now? Why do we still have to live on this sin-cursed earth? Why do we still, you know, why aren't we just all of a sudden, you know, perfect and like Christ? And why, why can't we just go to heaven now? That's because we have a mission. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says, "For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost." And they heard these things. That he added and spake a parable, because he was nigh to Jerusalem, because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear. And he said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. It's talking about Jesus. And he called his ten servants, that's talking about us, and delivered him ten pounds and said to them, Occupy till I come. We're supposed to be here on earth preparing people for Christ, telling other people about our Savior, about the Messiah. About the One who paid for their sins. We're supposed to occupy. We're supposed to do a job for Christ because He's coming back. He's coming back. And when He comes, the question is, will He find faith on the earth? I hope He will. I plan on having faith. I plan on spreading that to others. And He wants us to spread the Word. We have a purpose. We have a mission. We have goals. We have a mindset that's different than the world's. We're not here to be one of them. We're here to make a difference until the return of Christ, and you know there's a song that says, "If you want to make a difference, you've got to be a little different." And not talking about being weird or anything like that, but being different. The song says, "Not being not being strange as two left thumbs, but we're walking to the beat of a different drum," and that's the way it's supposed to be. So the conclusion: So how how do I put on that humble salvation? I hope you want. It. Hope you already have it, but if you don't have it, how? How do we put on the helm of salvation? Well, the first thing you can do is learn what the Bible says about salvation. Not what people say. Don't go out in the streets and do a survey of people on how to get to heaven. Because you're going to get 20 different answers. You're going to talk to a lot of confused people. Uh, you know, Don't go... Now, I'm going to go check with all the different churches. I'm going to go talk to a bunch of different pastors. Listen, I'm not saying they can't give you some insight that they can't help you, but ultimately, what we are supposed to do, we're supposed to go to the Word of God. The Bible says on Judgment Day that one of the passages says the books were open. I believe those books. I think it was the 66 books of the Bible. They're open them up. And we're going to be judged according to this book. And according to this law that God has given us so if you want that assurance of salvation listen don't don't go off what I say I might disappoint you I you might find out that you know I might come out or turn out to be a liar or a crook or whatever it happens I might mess up I might fall don't just go off what I say for assurance of salvation because if I mess up then you're going to lose it the way what you need to do is go to the word of God learn what the Bible says about salvation. And then, just think back to that time and place where you got saved. Just think about it. Remember it. Think back to that time. And then, if you don't have one, or if you're not sure, go ahead and call on the Lord for salvation. It's better to be safe than sorry. Nothing wrong. God's not going to get upset with you. How dare you forget. He's not going to do that. Go ahead and call on him for salvation. It's like, well, if I get saved, it'll it'll look like I'm admitting that I've been a phony all these years. No, listen. The devil he he knows how to trick people. He knows how to confuse them. I I believe churches all over today are full of people who are lost, or people, maybe people who are saved, but they don't have that assurance. If you don't have that assurance, you need it. You need to get it. You need to get it. Go ahead and ask again. It's better to be safe than sorry. God's not going to turn you down if you ask for salvation. He's never turned down anybody. And He's not going to turn you... That's the biggest thing that helped me. Was, you know what? Why would God say, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved and not save me when I ask Him? I meant it. I was sincere. I know... That he saved me that day on April thirtieth, nineteen eighty six. I'm glad I have that helmet of salvation. Listen, the devil, he's powerful me he's powerful. There's ways that he could probably get at me, but that's not one of them. I've got that helmet of salvation. I know I'm saved, I know I'm going to heaven, and I thank God for that. So let's all stand together, our heads bowed and eyes closed.